Hey, what's up? It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd here with my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drantz, who also covers the team for the Athletic Canucks Talk, brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dumbar Lumber text line. The music puts a smile on my face. I got to say, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a hit. A banger, as the kids would say. Banging the pan flute. (laughs) What's nothing wrong with that? It works. So long as you don't do it in public. If it works, it works. (laughs) Uh, It's a listen, Drancer. I mean, it's always a big show here on Canucks Talk. It's an an especially big show today for a number of reasons. It's a Canucks preseason game day. Uh, Some primo Canucks content up at the Athletic from some of your colleagues for us to dive into, and. And, of course, first and foremost, uh, the debut of our new segment, a regular Wednesday feature here on Canucks Talk, the crossover uh, with our pals Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall, also known as Donnie and Dolly see, of I Czech TV. I wouldn't call them our pals just yet. Let's see how it goes. Yeah, well, you're you're a, you're, <laughs> Let's you take it slow. I think you're a pal or, or a frenemy, maybe. I don't uh, know. Yeah, frenemy. I mean, <laughs> I'm definitely pals with Donnie, or at least... I am for now, but we'll see what happens once we get into the retire number one yes. debate. <laughs> uh, I'm, hopefully, I'm in I'm in the good books of both of them. We'll yeah. see, but we'll see how it goes. The, those fellows Let's just are going to join slow. us. Let's not put too much pressure on the relationship. That's right. we'll, we don't, we'll, we don't need to start throwing <laughs> labels around here. No, exactly. Yeah. Can it just be about having fun? <laughs> it's um, like it's going to go so badly the first segment. We all have to change our status to it's complicated. <laughs> so that's coming up uh, uh, just later in the first segment in about so five or ten minutes. On social minutes. media, by the way. I don't know. I am the last person to talk to on social media i feel like people who are still young enough to like be on the dating scene aren't on facebook because it's complicated right. it was a facebook thing right yeah like i don't think there's any equivalent did on they, tiktok did, or whatever have they ever like updated it to be like no cap we're talking to appeal to the younger generation no cap we're talking <laughs> <laughs> no awful what? awful um the one thing I noticed in terms of status updates is when I first got WhatsApp on my phone, I uh, I set my status to at the gym as a joke because I never go to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> and now, like, I've joined all the like, I'm in, like, a parents group for, like, my kid's kindergarten class. And I lo- notice that it says at the gym always <laughs> for me. I've never changed it. I'm really sending out the wrong message to all these people that I'm meeting. <laughs> Like, wow, this guy works out a lot. They're, they're, no, they're like I having don't. you over for a bake sale. They like <laughs> under make the brownies because they think you're really health conscious. Yeah. Big gym. Night and then over you here. eat all the brownies. They're like, no wonder he spends so much time in the gym. <laughs> all right. So we got lots coming up on the show today and uh, we're still waiting. So some of the Canucks skated out at UBC today, not the group that's going to go play in Edmonton tonight. And that is a, a six o'clock puck drop. Of course, you'll be able to hear it here on Sportsnet 650 with Brendan bachelor uh and randeep janda on the call uh but we do know based on some of the reporting out of edmonton that the canucks are going to get a very very good edmonton lineup and that includes connor mcdavid that includes leon dreisaitl evander kane ryan nugent hawkman hopkins uh zach hyman 
Brandon Sutter, which is good to see, is going to be skating uh, on the third line for oh, the Edmonton that. Oilers, which is great Very to exciting. see him making the most of his PTO opportunity uh, in Edmonton. But, you know, that's a that's basically they're rolling out their top six. They're rolling out their legitimate top six. And we all know how scary, how daunting the top six of Edmonton can be in a regular season game. So this is going to be another tough test. It's going to be another tough test for the lineup that the Canucks do send. We'll let you know what that lineup looks like when we get more information about it. But, you know, it's still a, a road, a, an early road preseason game. So as much as Edmonton is rolling out their top six in basically, you know, ready to go form, I wouldn't necessarily expect the Canucks to match it because, again, that's that's not usually how these things go in the preseason, despite the 10 nothing loss and all the the consternation that happened after that. Yeah, I mean, you just want to see them bounce back, and so do we. And we don't know who the Canucks are sending. Not just yet, yet. I don't believe. But you know, I wonder. I don't think they'd send the main group, but you might see like one top six line go. Yeah, you're gonna. Start, it'll it'll like be that. sprinkled in, but it's not gonna be like the full top six. But you'll start to integrate more NHL yeah, players. I, I, I could think. see one going, and maybe one goes where they weren't necessarily going to this early. But I, I, I guess if you want them to get three games, and Rick. Uh, talk it. I almost said Rick Dollywall because I'm looking at him on a screen. Yeah. But Rick Talkett, when he was discussing his preseason plans yesterday, kept talking about Game Four and Game Six, mm. right? Which is the Oilers game uh, this this coming Saturday in Vancouver, and then the um, Flames game the next Friday, right? So you've got the three road games that he's kind of omitting. So those are going to be the real trot out in NHL yep. lineup games and it's no coincidence that those are occurring in the home barn like I keep talking about this especially in the wake of like Tockett and Rutherford being criticized for sending a shorthanded lineup to a preseason debut on the road it's like when you host a preseason game and you're charging your season ticket holders full price for those tickets you know there's agreements in place between teams that they send an inferior you send a prospect heavy lineup I would expect we do see still Prospect heavy lineups with maybe one top six line mixing in tonight, one top line, a uh, top six line mixing in tomorrow, tomorrow in Seattle. Yeah, in Seattle, you know, one of Cole and Heronic playing one of the games, Hughes playing the other, um, and then I would expect a similarly like prospect heavy and probably Abbotsford Canucks heavy lineup mm -hmm. with with maybe a sprinkling of NHL players for that game in Abbotsford that they play against the Kraken midweek next week. And four and six clearly are lining up to be the real dress rehearsals for the main guys on this team, the NHL fixtures on the Canucks. Yeah, and really tonight, I mean, it'll be interesting to see which of the, the more established players go, but it's going to be much more about the guys farther down the lineup, farther down the roster, and what they can do to improve their stock. Let's be real. The only thing any of us should be watching tonight is the penalty kill against the Edmonton top power play unit, right? Like, Which is going in in its, in its entirety. It's going to be our first look. Like, the, the that's those are the guys who I'm far more hopeful are going, is like Bluger, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like Susie. Suter, yeah. Susie, yeah. I, wa I want to see at least a little bit of penalty killing tonight. Um, what do you think about, do you think we'll see Dakota Joshua tonight? I, I would bet yes. I that's think, that's yeah. the big question for me. Is, I wonder if we might see him play both games. Who is, who is a repeat in the lineup from... Calgary, right? And specifically, like, the players who got bumped from the NHL group yesterday, are they given an immediate opportunity to to redeem themselves and yeah. get back on track? Dakota Joshua's at the top of that list. Vasily Pud Colson's there as well. But Joshua, because of the, the commentary talk it had about him, I would expect to see him in the lineup you, tonight. My theory remains that that was pretty purely message sending, that 
Dakota Joshua is going to be on this team once the preseason is run, and you don't send a message, you don't plan a flag, you don't challenge a guy and not give him a chance to respond immediately. And and I, I guarantee you, given how direct Rick Tockett is with us, given his reputation for directness, right? He's not like giving someone negative feedback and letting it fester. That's just mm. not who he is. Yeah. There's nothing about him that suggests that he's ha- that he'd handle it that way. Dakota Joshua is like the only guy that I really expect to see tonight. Like that, I'm like, I would be shocked if he's yeah. not in the lineup. I, I would even look at you know, some of the poor performers on the blue line, not that they're guaranteed to get in, but like a guy like Noah Juleson, right? And, you know, even a guy like Jet Wu, if they get another shot right out there. Now, I do think you want to start mixing in, as you said, Cole, Susie, Hronick, Hughes at some point. So there's only so many spots uh, to go around. But yeah, I think for a lot of these guys, it's okay, flush the Calgary game. That was not good, but get back at it. And here's another opportunity yep. potentially uh, against a really good Edmonton Oilers team in Edmonton and again that one's going at six o'clock batch and Randeep will have the call here uh, on Sportsnet 650 Uh, all right very very excited now to kick off a brand new segment here on Canucks talk every Wednesday throughout the season joined by Don Taylor Rick Dolly well of course they are the hosts of Donnie and Dolly on check TV every day from 10 to 12 and uh, I know this is a big deal because they're staying late after their work is over to join us which is very very impressive and through the magic of TV we can see them listening and ready to come in uh, on our monitors here so Donnie Dolly thanks for doing this what's going on guys Uh, not much. Watched a whole lot today, <laughs> connect-wise, with the Roberto Luongo news. But also, Rick's worried because we are staying late here, yeah. and he's got a parking situation to deal with. <laughs> and, Trench, I'm telling you, I know you talk a lot. Uh, you better not turn this into a one-hour segment. We got parking. Donnie and I, and I'll tell you, the tow truck's coming. And Donnie and I started here. It was twelve bucks an hour for parking. Now it's sixteen. What is it, Donnie? Sixteen seventy-five? So, something like that. It D- doesn't matter to me because ah. I'm like Rick. I'm a man of the people. I take SkyTrain. He's still. Uh, he does not take SkyTrain. But guys, <laughs> wasn't this a foreseeable? Dreads, don't give twenty-minute answers. This is I, a foreseeable situation, hey. though, fellas. You knew you were coming on. Don't you just adjust not, a little bit? Hey. Drance talks. There's this no one talks like Drance. Drance, you better not give 20 minute answers. We got to get out of here. We got the, the we got to get the parking, or I don't want no ticket. Right. Well, <laughs> our new goal now is to get Dolly Wall a ticket. So thanks for thanks for teeing us up here for yeah, this. Yeah, do everything yeah, we can hours. to get you a ticket. <laughs> All right. So game two of the preseason tonight in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. I mean. Look, we were kicking around the 10 nothing loss, and I don't think it's fair to say you take nothing from it, but obviously it is game one of the preseason. But is there a little bit, like, how much do you need to see a bit of a bounce back and a better effort tonight in Edmonton from the Canucks? Well, 10 nothing was just so Canuck, and, and you're right. You don't put much stock into uh, uh, into the preseason, but these are the Canucks. And, I mean, there's there, there's part of all of us where you, you say to yourself, well, of course it was it, it was 10 uh, Um You look at what uh, who the Oilers are going to dress uh, tonight, and obviously the Canucks are going to dress a much more NHL-type lineup than they did uh, on Sunday. They have to be competitive. Otherwise, they know what's going to happen. The people are going to rip into them, roast them, uh, led by uh, this guy here. No, no. Hey, I heard you guys talking about Joshua. I fully expect him to play tonight. Um, That was a pretty significant comment by Tockett yesterday. Mm -hmm. He's got to pick it up. There's guys breathing down his neck for that one job. Hey, 
Joshua's got to bring it tonight, guys. And I don't know if he plays again in Seattle, but that was a pretty significant uh, comment by Tockett. He, that's the first guy he singled out mm. in the preseason. And, and we know he's an energy fourth-line type guy. Well, then, you know what? Bring it. Bring it every shift. Because I don't think Tockett's going to let guys off uh, the hook uh, when, when the performance isn't right. I, I really liked him. Not going after Joshua, but being honest about his performance in Calgary. I'm sure he could have did uh, that with a few other guys. But I'll tell you one thing, Joshua, I, I fully expect him to have one heck of a game tonight. Rick, are the Canucks at the stage where the fact that Joshua requires waivers, the fact that with his performance last season, he's guaranteed to yeah. get claimed, where they should be weighing that in terms of filling out their fourth line or... When you're, you know, the 22nd place team in the NHL, do you just need to take the 12 best forwards? Yeah, you pick them. And you got to earn it. And do you remember last year, Thomas, when uh, it was talk, it was raving about Joshua. Mm -hmm. I think he said something to the effect, I like this guy. He, he's got potential to score 15 to 20 goals. And, you know, he was loving him. I don't know where this performance from Joshua came in Calgary uh, he wasn't one of the rookies uh, uh, you know and he had 13 minutes one shot only one hit I expected better I I, I, I fully expected uh, Joshua to get 15 goals this year uh, you know what can I say something Go ahead. Rick and I don't know how you feel about this uh, guys but when I hear Rick talk, it, talk about uh, Dakota Joshua which he did uh, yesterday and we know what Rick Tockett wanted to see from his players seemingly more than anything else in the offseason. I wonder if this is a conditioning issue with Dakota Joshua oh, right, and right. the head coach isn't pissed off and for not, not showing up in, in shape. To me, that, you know, because we're, you know, fairly early here, yep. and that's, I, I would think that's got to be it. Yeah. Well, it makes more sense because at the scrimmage, anyway, it's not like he was bad. He just was quiet and, and sort of yeah. outperformed by Niels Mann. And, you know, the game in Calgary, I mean, was he bad, or was he just in the lineup as the Canucks got absolutely shellacked? I mean, you guys tell me what you thought, but I didn't think he was, like, a standout poor performer. Well, it, it reminds me a little bit of the game, the preseason game last year, where it was the, there was the rough stuff against Edmonton, and he didn't respond. And right. it wasn't the same when against Calgary, but yeah. you're yeah. one of the NHL vets in that lineup, and you're getting blown out 10 nothing. I think there's just an expectation that you show something, that you bring a little bit of energy and juice to the game, and he didn't really do that. I think that's, that's well, it guys, more than uh, his uh, I'm just impressed that he remembered a game last year. Yeah, exactly. A preseason game. <laughs> hey, how about a big hit? Yeah, Canucks were down... Canucks were down five six nothing. How about a big That's hit what I'm or a fight, about, Dolly? Right, like you're an energy juice. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's that's the frustration. Bring with it. Joshua, Show partly. it to the coach. <laughs> now, well, okay, guys. I think part of the disappointment was the the, the ten nothing loss, obviously. But there were just a whole lot of guys like Dakota Joshua, and you hate that to, to say this if you're a player trying to make a, a team or about a player trying to make it. They were just kind of there. Yeah. Like I, I, yeah. I, I, I had to, like with these complaints about Dakota Joshua. I had to look and oh yeah, he did play. You know, I had to look at the stats and he, I didn't even notice him out there. And that went for a lot of guys. So ten nothing or not, make yourself uh, make yourself noticed, like Stadnika did. Yeah, well, especially for the guys Absolutely. fighting for those bottom of the lineup spots, right? That's going to be your calling card with Dakota Joshua in particular. Mm -hmm. And you know, the other player, I think he's in a bit of a different category than that though, because he did stand out for the wrong reasons. Is Vasily Podkolzin and talk it? You know, very much different what he's saying about Pod Colson than Joshua. You know, he pumped his tires mm, a little yes. bit. Hey, he's working his butt off. Yes. But we also, we can see what's going on with Vasily Pod Colson right now. Didn't look pretty against Calgary. How concerned are you guys with where Pod Colson's game is at? 
Well, one thing with Petkolz, and I remember saying this about Alex Adler early on in his tenure uh, with the Canucks. With Petkolz, and, and keep in mind, this is a relatively new uh, head coach. You can you can almost see the gears turning on the side of his helmet. That he's doing a whole lot of thinking out there and not reacting naturally. It's, it's he's not making it easy on himself. And maybe once he he gets there and he learns more about Rick Tockett, what he wants, maybe things get better. But that's what I saw more on, on Sunday than somebody who actually doesn't have the skill to be in the National Hockey League. Hey guys, I'm going to take you back to about five years. Remember when Igor Larionov was coaching? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Russia's uh, junior team, and he had Pod Colson. I remember doing an interview with uh, with uh, Igor at the station that got blown up to smithereens. But anyways, um, uh, I remember doing an interview. Uh, I lost my train of thought. I- Igor. Uh, Igor. Igor. <laughs> Igor. Igor. This is what happens. So you can't let that go. You, you know what's tough? That 1040 stuff. Go. I'm looking at a screen with Drance. This is really confusing. This is really confusing. Let and it he's go. Got a, He's got a Grizzlies hat on. Focus. See what I got Focus. to deal with, guys? Okay, Igor Larionov says to me, I said to him, I said, what do you think of when you think of Pod Colson? <laughs> he says, Mark Messier. Dreads, quit laughing. Listen to the story. You're so So funny. I ask Igor, uh, what do you... <laughs> Thomas, listen. Rick, I, this is going to be a one-hour answer. Yeah, keep on, he he keeps laughing. I'm, I'm looking at the screen. <laughs> oh, I know, the parking. We're going to get a parking ticket. Thomas... He said he reminds him of Mark Messier. And, and Donnie, you remember the clip. We played the clip. Uh, Lee, uh, guys, I don't see Mark Messier right now. And that's what Igor. I see a guy scared, playing nervous. Did you notice in maybe Calgary Vancouver, the first Mark two, Messier, times Rick. Pod Coles? Okay. Yeah. Hey, yeah. hey, maybe the Vancouver Messier. <laughs> it took you an hour to tell us that Petkolz is not Mark Messier. I, I, I'm it having was, troubles. I'm looking at a screen. I, I see four second. boxes like the Brady Bunch. <laughs> Hey, hey. Uh, can Rick, Rick, you remember you know, the Brady Bunch with all those boxes? Oh, yeah. I'm seeing yeah, the boxes. Actually, Johnny. you know what? We yeah. should, we should, can we have it, a Brady Bunch moment, guys? You just want to like look around? Yeah, we should. Why? Yeah. 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 And I could look up at yeah. John. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Hey, by the way, yesterday was the 53rd anniversary of the Brady Bunch. 53rd. Think about that. Unbelievable. No, it was. It was, Donnie. You know, you that can was still big, buy the Brady uh, Bunch. Donnie, growing up, it's uh, on the market. <laughs> you know what, though? Are you, you know, serious? Yeah. I'm serious, yeah. I think Rick bought it. It's, it's off the market. Uh, Jan and our, what was some I, of the names? Marsha. Marsha. Marsha was the best. I want to be Sam the, the butcher. I want to <laughs> be, be clear about Marsha Brady, though. No Mark Messier. Hey, um, yeah. with uh, with regards yes. to oh, did, did Igor Larionov tell yeah. you that? Yeah. With regards to Pod Colson, Rick, yeah, I want to yeah. throw this at you because you're talking about, yep. um, you know, talking to your Russian sources. I know you stay deeply plugged in with uh, hockey coaches, skills coaches, agents all around the world. And when I look at Pod Colson, mm. and I think Donnie nailed it uh, about the gears turning on the side of his head like he's one of those robot Chargers fans yeah. in the stands, um, you know, I do think the <laughs> I do think the thing that I think about with him is, you know, for him, since coming to Vancouver, it's been like first line one night, fourth line one night, healthy scratch the next night, yeah. uh, down in the AHL, but only for like 30 games, 120 yeah. in the NHL, zero predictability. Yeah. And and what makes that so problematic for me, because it's not that unique an experience for a guy trying to break into the NHL, but where it becomes unique for Pod Colson is those years he spent in the same situation yeah. in Russia KHL, MHL, VHL, fourth line, healthy scratch, top line for the playoffs, sure. Like, this guy hasn't had predictable deployment since he was 15 
Why has no one in this organization yep. just sat down and been like, hey, why don't we give him 30 games and we'll either find out at the end of it what he is or we'll know clearly what he isn't. Like, are you really not going to give him that look because you want to play Niels Amon and Jack Stadnika on the fourth yep. line? Like, this mm-hmm. is a top, top 10 pick with all the but, talent in the world. Figure it out. There's confidence. Uh, t- Thomas, there's confidence too. You don't want to bury the kid in the middle. How does he get it? How does he get it? Why put him in the top six to open camp, Rick? They put him in a position to fail. Yeah. To, to, to try to get him going, Thomas. Well, that's the to thing. try and get I, him going, and hey, look, I'm on the in the top six. Yeah, I, I try I to get to him going. His confidence. The, the hope was put him with guys where he can score some goals. But he he's an yeah. overthinker. Right? But he's the like he's yeah. the overthinker. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not start him somewhere? Where, like he's a big bodied forward. You you you're on the fourth line. The only thing that's non negotiable is that you have fun and throw the body. That's it. Like why are we pretending mm-hmm. that this is Tom, rocket Thomas, science? But, but, it guys, ain't. we had a guest on uh, yesterday. We had a, a guest on uh, on yesterday, uh, Marsha Brady, I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> but we had a guest on yesterday. I can't mention because he works for the other uh, network. But we had a guest on uh, yesterday, and he said the best we that Canuck fans can hope for with Nils Hoaglander and put Coles in yep. third line. Third line, like that, 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 that's the reality. And you so know, what? maybe, maybe they need. That's where they need to focus with this kid. That'd and you know what scares me, Thomas and, and Jamie, yeah. and Thomas, yeah. when you the, there's 32 teams in the league, you can't have your 10th overall pick not be a difference maker. It's too scary now. Your top 10 picks have to not only hit, they yeah, got to be wonderful, okay. wonderful players. Don, you're not getting 80, 90 points out of Pod Colson ever. You know, I, that uh, to me, tenth overall, you got to have difference makers. But Thomas just said it, like the uh, third line. That's that's but fine. that's not good at tenth overall. No, you it's can not, get, but it's reality, Rick. It's yeah, reality. From, from you can point, get your yeah. third liners. You can get your third liners in round five and six. But for me, with Pod Colson, the hope would still be. Yeah, you're right. Dolly, he's never going to go for 80, 90 points, but can he give you 50 to 60 points no. and be a physical force, right? Like, is that oh. still even on the yeah, table? Like, that's, I, but I don't oh. know if that's even on the table at this point. 50 to 60 points. I, that look, that seems like it might be too tall. Yeah. I, I just think it's way too early to give up on this guy. Unbelievable. And, and at the very least, he's big enough and unique enough. You know, it like a third liner, 10th overall, is a problem. Right, because you can find a third liner in free that's agency for $1.5 yeah. $1. million. You don't need to waste a top 10 pick on it. But, but... A third liner who's two hundred pounds, right, and and can throw the like has mm. his physical gifts. That's okay because that guy's still four and a half million dollars in free agency. He has to get there though. If he gets there and has a unique profile, I think it's fine. Hey, can we get into Luongo really quickly? I know we're uh, running out of time, and Rick's got a parking yeah, I know. situation. Yes, definitely. Uh, parking, yes. parking, but parking. I, I, just, yeah. I just want to throw this to Donnie really quick. Donnie, Casey DeSmith. Yeah. Cannot take the number one in this market. Isn't the number one already retired? Like, why are we going through the pantomime of not just making it official? You're a first ballot Hall of Famer who spent your best years in this city and won the biggest game that's ever been won in the history of hockey in this city, albeit not for the Canucks. But in that building, hang one. Like, why is this hard? Mm-hmm. Well, well, it, it isn't hard. And I say uh, hang one, uh, no problem at all. By the way, Casey DeSmith is wearing 29, mm. and that's that's Gino's number. A lot of people will tell yeah, you that. Yeah, that's true. And Jack, the late, great Jack McElhargan, yeah. the late, great yep. uh, Gino Ojek, both wore uh, 29. I have no problem with putting number one up into the, to the rafters. Ring of Honor is fine. A lot of people want to see number one as long as it's a dual ceremony. And Roberto Luongo's number one goes up alongside Kirk McLean's number one. And I'd be, I'd, us old guys would be just fine with yep. that. And I think it would be the way to go. 
Is Kirk McLean a first ballot Hall of Famer? Disagrees. Did I miss the press release? <laughs> Donnie, I no, thought... but uh, 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 is, Tre- is, is Trevor Linden, and he's number nope, 16, nope, and he's up on the rafters. Thank you. Iconic captain, though, franchise, all-time yep. leader in playoff scoring. I think there's a gap there in, in quality as well between 16 mm. and, and the other one. Yeah. <laughs> Kirk played on a lot of bad teams, and he was fabulous for those bad teams in the 80s. Rick will tell you that. L- 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 oh, yeah, yeah. He wants 35 up there for hey, Richard Berner. L- 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 what about Richard Berner? Everyone talks about... here, too. It's just that they made the playoffs those years because he was Roberto Luongo. And Thomas, you're 35 years old, 34. You don't know the stuff from the 80s and 70s like Donnie and I do. <laughs> oh, I definitely. What are you? 20, sorry, 29, 30. I'm a student. 29. He's losing years by the second I'm, year. I, I, yeah, I'm like my age is now Jose Canseco's 40 time. It's getting shaved down every time it's referenced. Um, but Rick, Rick, I'm a student of the game. I definitely don't know 80s Canucks history as well as Donnie. But you and I. <laughs> for him I'm, I'm willing yeah. to go toe to toe with you my friend all right hey hold it a second i just i just no, told you he knows you, the 80s he does uh, the 80s is my favorite decade how the hell do you think i know brady bunch look uh, the 82 canucks team is my uh, favorite the, 80s, the brady bunch was in the 70s anyways hey the brady bunch i know the Ron 80s so well but the brady bunch hey. which went off air in 74 which I know, by the way, yeah. because I'm a student of history. started watching. Was my favorite nah, show in the over, 80s. But the, I saw the reruns in the 80s, you dummy. <laughs> that doesn't make I it I saw the reruns the in the 80s. You watched a very Brady Christmas nah, just, in the never 80s. Never mind. Listen to me. I know my Brady bunch. <laughs> hey, 82 Canucks, my favorite team. Don't even talk to me about the 80s, Drance. You're 35 max age. <laughs> I'm 36. Max. I just want to be clear. That's, that's not a put down. <laughs> 35 yeah. max. Uh, all right. Well, I just got a text from my producer saying, uh, why did we call this segment the crossover and not the gong show? So I think that's a big a big vote of confidence oh, for segment one. Speaking here. of the 70s. Hey, your producer, Elementary is the gong show, too. <laughs> uh, no argument here. Dolly. Good I'll- show, by the way. Good show, by the way. Good show, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Oh, mm. have you seen it? Excellent. All about the Gong Show and Chuck Barris? Yeah. I'll check it out. Check it out, Rick. I will check it out. Well, I'll, I'll while get you're on getting it. your car, I'll get on it. <laughs> Dolly, after I watch Brady Bunch yeah, uh, first, reruns. First, you have to watch Dude, Where's My Car? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, go feed that meter, Dolly Wall. We'll talk next week, fellas. All right, we're out of here. We're Thanks, out of guys. here. Okay, bye. Cheers, Adios, boys. Amigos. Uh, that is uh, Don Taylor, Rick Dollywall of Donnie and Dolly on Check <laughs> TV, the crossover, the first edition of the crossover. Um, I yeah, called Lariana. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? That went about as expected. Oh, so that went about as expected. I, I see. I think that was more fun than I, I even expected. I loved that. Those guys are the best. What a joy that we get to do that once a week this uh, season. Tavi says, uh, I have no idea what the F is going on right now, but this is going to be a hit. I love it. <laughs> that I, about sums it up. I had, I mean, you know what? It's like when you're watching that preseason game and you can tell that some guys aren't into it. Yeah. Or when we talked about this with Corey Schneider about the Bruins Canucks, you could tell those teams didn't like each other. Yes. Like that was a blast. And I guarantee you the audience knows <laughs> we were all losing our minds, so yes. a lot of fun. Oh, my goodness. All right, well, we're going to take a break, try to recover, try to get things back on the rails here, uh, dive in a little bit more to uh, Canucks preseason and the the season preview, courtesy of The Athletic. Today, it is Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650.
band. This is like the generic the band intro now. We're the Canucks talk. This is great. Yeah, more more new music. By the Enjoy. way, the 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 bands like the Hives yes. and the Strokes. Yes. Isn't it weird how it's like classic rock? What do you mean? Like it's so far away from when that was actually like cool. Oh, and it's hip like twenty years ago. That now? it's like yeah, yeah, what yeah, Led yeah. Zeppelin was when we grew up. But I know. But and yet it's never become classic rock because classic rock is actually is a frozen concept. in time. Frozen in time. It yeah. does not change. Although if you, um, I think there's a definition that the actual classic rock stations use, though. It's like I don't know years. because I have heard. Okay, maybe it's twenty years or something. Yeah. Because they they there is new stuff that keeps getting added in. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like if if I listen to Rock 101 today. I will hear song. I know, I know, whatever. Don't look at me like that, Tom. If what? I listen to the classic rock station in Vancouver, there's stuff that they wouldn't be playing when I was in high school, right? That's been added since then. Right. Which is always unnerving. So, like, you now, you, now you tune on, and it's like Autumn Shade by The Vines, and it's like... The Vines. What? They were the Australian Strokes. Yeah, yeah. The Australian Strokes. And the Hives were the Swedish Strokes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And the White Stripes were the... Brother and Detroit, sister Detroit strokes. strokes. <laughs> I prefer Jack FM. Yes. Thank you, Dom. Not a classic rock station, though. They play what you want. Uh, okay, no. That's not even the slogan, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> not even correct. You know what? You know what? When it comes to Jack FM, they're no Mark Messier. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and I will say, by the way, somebody else texting in, you should be listening to Jack FM. That is my go-to FM radio station. It's playing what you want when you want. It's just not a classic radio station. Good save. Classic rock. It's not classic rock. Anyway, uh, Rager says, once Green Day got added, I felt old. Yeah, that's a good one. It's Green like, Day being in classic rock is, yeah, uh, absolutely absurd. Yeah. Uh, oh, how about the Goof to- Troop soundtrack? What? Is that a classic rock <laughs> the station? The Goof Troop soundtrack. <laughs> Come on. That's, that's fire. Um, if you, you haven't listened to the Goof Troop soundtrack, do yourself a favor. The uh, the reviews continue to pour in for the crossover. This one unsigned. That was a blank show, but I loved it. Thank you. <laughs> and another one from Austin Langley, which is like, this is a great one. Uh, that segment has the same amount of structure as the Canucks. <laughs> wow. <laughs> which is an excellent, excellent burn uh, from Austin in Langley. And, you know, a part of me wants to be like, hey, we'll tighten it up throughout the season. But I know that's a lie. We won't. And it wouldn't be fun that way anyway. So uh, expect more chaos every Wednesday with the fellas from Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV. All right. Back to the Canucks. So uh, a very big day, as I said, off the top for us on the show here. Your colleagues at The Athletic, of course, Dom Lucision, who's going to join us at one o'clock today. Also, Shana Goldman and Sean Gentili, so two I of like our favorites. The, I like the Marty or the Red text. Uh, 82 Canucks are Dolly's favorite Canucks team from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so good. Um, so the athletic preseason Canucks preview projection, whatever you want to call it. And this is always really interesting. And it's always fascinating to see this kind of analytical model applied to the Vancouver Canucks. And this one in particular this year is kind of funny. I'll give you the big top line numbers projected for 92.4 points. So round down to 92 points and a 54% chance of making the playoffs. And it's striking the degree. It's, not, it's 52. 52? Okay. Yeah. I must have transcribed that wrong. But no 52% worries. chance of making the playoffs. Yeah, sorry. It's striking the degree just like how incredibly fair and accurate that feels. You know what I mean? Like it's rare to see a statistical model where you just look at it and you're like, that's exactly how I would have chalked it up. Right? Dom does such a good job of capturing the upside and the downside in his model. Right? Because like... 
Dom's model runs through a million simulations, and there are simulations, like there are versions of Dom LeCision's world where the Canucks are a 110-point team, and that's factored into his analysis. Now, mm-hmm. there are also versions where they're a 75-point team, right? And a lot would have to go wrong for that to be the case. And it's all factored in to this analysis that, that finds effectively the fat part of the bell curve. Now, 52% playoff shot to me is a fascinating number in part because when you look through the sort of peripheral numbers, right? 52% chance that the Canucks make the playoffs, which is the ninth best playoff chances in the West Mm. worth remembering. So not one of the top eight teams in terms of their playoff shot. And yet still more likely than not based on his model to make the postseason. And yet when you add up the chances that they're fifth, sixth, seventh, or eighth, in the Pacific Division, right? You'll get to, drum roll please, 52%. Yeah. So the Canucks are this volatile entity where they are as likely to be fifth or lower in the Pacific as they are to make the playoffs, and yet both are outcomes that are more likely than not. And that, to me, is a fascinating dichotomy that really captures the volatility we've been talking about now. Here's the other top-line statistic I want to give you. Dom's model this year projects the Canucks for 92 points. Dom's model last year projected the Canucks for? 92 points. 92 points. Dom's model the year before projected the Canucks for 87 points. And this is sort of where I get a little nervous, right? Is that there's like a golden mean level. You know, that the Canucks are never actually at, and yet in terms of their true talent baseline have been at throughout the sort of top line years of this Hughes-Petterson era. Mm-hmm. And and that point of in their true talent level has been pegged for multiple years, despite multiple changes, despite the biggest buyout in NHL history, tons of moves, tons of hype every offseason about all the work the Canucks have done to improve, has been pegged too low. Like, their true talent level is pegged a point and a half below the historic bar to make the playoffs in the Pacific Division since the NHL adopted the current playoff formats, about 93 and a half points. And that, to me, is a concern, particularly because when you consider what we're looking at now going forward, right? The, the strength of the prospect system, the relative strength of the prospect system, the club's cap situation, Heronic and Pedersen's deals expiring and requiring uh, significant raises on and on down the line. Like, I just don't see that path to get to 95, 96 points. So the Canucks are 53% likely to make the playoffs. That matches a lot of what we've said. Like, I won't be shocked if the Canucks make the playoffs. And I think, you know, focusing on the short term is to miss... The forest Mm. for the trees, because the question to me, the question that I think most Canucks fans who are liable to, you know, have one too many drinks and and start talking to their friend at the at the bar about how their biggest fear is that they die without seeing uh, the Canucks win a cup. You know, like speaking for those fans, which is every Canucks fan I've ever met, frankly, it's certainly every hardcore Canucks fan I've ever met that fatalistic fear. Is there a way? For this Canucks team around Hughes and Pedersen to level up to be competing for something really meaningful? Or is it impossible, impossible to build 
a really worthwhile structure or a really worthwhile edifice or or something a, a great team on a foundation that maybe as a result of a variety of short-term choices over the course of the past decade, fundamentally compromised. Yeah, it's the question of how you go from a, a 92-point projection and a 50% chance of making the playoffs, give or take, to you know being one of the teams way farther up on this list where it's, hey, they're, they're projected for 103 points. And then you start talking about, okay, if everything goes right, if that's your kind of middle point, if everything goes right for you in that situation, then you're really on to something. you got a way better chance than, than 50-50 of making the playoffs. And I do think it's really interesting to dig into some of the the more granular takeaways from the projection up at the athletic right now, because they go through, you know, player by player and kind of position group by position group and what they're projecting from them. And, you know, one of the things that stands out to me is they actually project the defensive rating per their system uh, from a team wide perspective to be better relative to the league at 14th overall than the offensive rating of the team. And I think that reflects like, look where they invested all of their resources, right? Bluger, Suter, Susie, Cole, those are all defensive pluses who don't who aren't going to give you much on the offensive end. Well, and and I'd add that it might be more extreme if Rick Tockett's system mm. functions in any way like it has historically or, or historically did in Arizona, where that team was very capable of winning a 3-2 game, but if you got four, they were toast, right? And I'd add this. The Canucks were 20th in the NHL by even strength goals scored last year, and that was with their top line winger on a historic efficiency bender and their entire top line converting on 15 plus percent of, of shots taken, right? Uh, this club's arguably gotten worse defensive or sorry, offensively on the back end. Like, you know, I've been, I've, I've been sort of talking about this or at least dancing around the issue, which is that we've taken for granted that this Canucks team can fill the net and they certainly can on the power play, except they've changed that entire system, Right. Mm-hmm. But I think there's some softness. Like, I don't think we should just assume that this is an elite offensive team. I, I think there's a lot of work to be done there. I'd add this, by the way, for anyone, like, when you get and look at, at the player projections section in particular, you know, where I most often disagree with Dom's model, and I do, like, I cite it all the time because it's a super powerful tool, mm-hmm. and I think you disregard objective evidence at your at your own risk, but there are places where I disagree and and one of them in particular is I'm far more old school old school from an analytics perspective anyway in terms of weighting shot attempt metrics and regression right so Dom looks at Andre Kuzmenko as an example and prices in some regression risk but he still credits him as a play driver and he still credits him as a guy who generated um, like goal differential for the Canucks. Like that's what Dom's model does. Um, Dom's model weights last season's performance far more heavily than it does like a full body work. Whereas my priors are a little bit stronger. So Dom's model has no questions that Philip Ronick's a top pair caliber guy. And I have very significant questions about that. Right. So in so many ways, it's really interesting, but the way the model is weighted actually, I think, produces a more favorable view almost across the board of the Canucks, of Canucks players than I personally have. Uh, I'll give you another example. Ilya Mikheyev is priced out as like this play-driving guy who's not necessarily coming off of ACL surgery. Mm. Well, I have deep concerns about what we're going to see from Ilya Mikheyev this season, and, and, and I don't say that to be critical. I say that because I think it's really important that we extend him a ton of patience as he gets up to speed 
following that surgery. Um, one of the other things that stands out to me looking at the projection, again, you can go check this out at The Athletic right now, is you look at the way the blue line has been remade. And again, they split it out into, you know, overall defense, right? But then also the offensive element of the blue line and the defensive element. And again, you see this reflection in where defensively, they have really legitimately improved that group, right? With the additions of Cole, Susie, and also, as you said, the model is very high on Philip Ronick. So they ended up... Are you doing the dot, 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 butt thing? Yes, but they're, so their rating ends up coming out at 13th overall in the league, which obviously, if you're talking about like the 13th best defensive blue line, that's obviously a huge improvement from where the Canucks have been. But you also see not Hronick, but those other players and the inclusion of Tyler Myers, how they hold you back offensively as well. And so you're in the bottom third of the league in terms of the offensive contributions from the blue line. And I think that that it's not a perfect proxy for puck moving ability, right? Because puck moving is a defensive skill in that it gets the puck out of your zone and, and away from your net as well. But it kind of matches a lot of what we've talked about, right? Where, yeah, Cole and Susie are going to help solidify what you can do at the back end, but there's still that question of, does this team have enough puck moving on the blue line and I think you really see that in the the offensive rating for the defenseman in particular right where yeah okay they're better they're they're undeniably better as a group but that could still be a significant liability for the team well and that goes to the concern that I still have right the Mm -hmm. reason why as I price this out and as I recognize the compelling upside case for the Canucks in so many ways you know, the main reason I've been fading this team is their ability to move the puck from the back end out, to, like, play out a- a- from the back end. I think Hronik's going to help uh, so much, like, so much. I don't want to understate how much I expect Hronik to help, and yet I still think the Canucks are going to f- trail so far behind the other teams in their division in that category in particular. You know, I mean, mm. I, like, I see no argument for the Canucks having better than the sixth best defense core in the Pacific, and that's despite having a defenseman who I think there's no credible argument against being the single best defender in, in the, the Pacific. division. Yeah. So it's, I mean, which which says a lot, I think, about the relative strength of the rest of the group. And, you know, I mean, we'll see. that This club's just going to need a lot, a lot from A, somebody to play with Hughes, B, Cole to, play, to hold up as a top four guy, and C, like, Whoever plays on the third pair, whether it's Susie or Myers or Hirose or Wolanin or Brisebois, they're going to need a lot from those guys, too, in terms of making clean outlets, right? Mm. In in terms of uh, doing more than just going glassing out, because, frankly, I don't believe that works anymore. Like, I don't believe that you can sustainably win in the league playing punt and hunt exclusively with any pair. And by the way, I think we saw it. Like, I think we saw what happens when you can't connect play under Bruce Boudreau. You know, like yeah. this this team had to blitz all the time. Their, the forwards were completely reliant on their own pressure up, up ice to generate offense. And when teams simply moved the puck out crisply or had speed on the Canucks, we saw what it looked like. They couldn't win. I'm not saying that's what it's going to look like this year. I think Rick Tockett's going to be able to find some interesting answers. I certainly think this team is not going to be the absolute bleep show we saw last season defensively. Like, my God. Well, and that's that's something I if you, I think it's going to matter were, a lot. If you way. were to build like the bull case using this projection at the athletic, I think you would start with because you're right. There's been similarly 
you know, fairly positive projections that the team has fallen well short of uh, over the last couple of years. And what has that looked like primarily? Not the only way, but the way it has gone bad has been just an absolute disaster defensively on the PK and on even strength, right? Bleeding goals, either goals against or, uh, you know, when Thatcher Demko was standing on his head, still bleeding chances against that he was covering up. That's the specific way that it has gone wrong. There's been other problems too with moving the puck and, you know, even in the last stages of the Travis Green era struggling to score. But when you think of like the Canucks falling short of expectations over the last few years, what you see in your mind is, you know, grade A chance against after grade A chance against. So I think if you were to say like, okay, well, why is it going to be different? Why are they going to live up to the true talent level this year in a way they haven't in years past? I would start with, well, they've invested, they invested so many of their resources on defensively oriented players. And you're seeing that show up like the meaningful defensive improvements in this projection. Now, it has to carry over to the penalty kill. We know that's been a huge source of goals against. It, all these players have to click and they have to perform at the level we're used to seeing from them defensively. There's still things that can go wrong there. But I just wonder, like, if you can, if you can just establish a credible, competent baseline of defensive performance, which this team really has not had, can you prevent the bottom falling out? Can you prevent things from going off the rails like they have so often for this team now that you should have such a more solid defensive environment? And I'm not, I'm not sitting here guaranteeing you that that's going to be the case, but just that's one thing that was really driven home for me reading this was, okay, these are significant defensive improvements. And to the extent that that's been the Canucks biggest issue, I think that's a reason you could feel bullish about the team's chances this year. Yeah. And I think that's completely fair. Again, it's as likely as the, as the bear case, right? I mean, that's what makes it such a fascinating season. And yet I also think it's something where, we're watching a coin flip mm-hmm. and Canucks fans are yelling heads and we'll see where it lands. And I want more for Canucks fans than a coin flip. Mm. Like that's fundamentally where my issue comes down. Cause it's a coin flip season. This team is good enough to make the playoffs. If that's your question, the answer is yes. They're good enough yeah. to make the playoffs. Um, they're also not so good. That it'll be like a massive no, disappointment. That you'll be shocked if they don't. They don't it. even need to fall short of expectations to miss the playoffs narrowly. Now, missing widely would be falling short of expectations. Mm-hmm. And that's also within the realm of, of possibility. But, you know, we should demand more. We should want more. We should expect more, especially given how the last decade has unfolded. Like, this club just hasn't generated enough momentum off of the inevitable gravity that exists in the league and that richly rewards the teams that struggle, right? Like they just, this should be a no doubt playoff team at this point in Patterson and Hughes's career, right? Like this is a team that shouldn't be judged on making the playoffs mm. at this, at with a 25, like you think Pedersen's a top 10 center? I do. Yeah, I do for he's, sure. He's 25. Absolutely. He's going to yeah. be 25 in a yeah, month. Yeah, no, he's right in his prime. Hughes, you think Hughes is a top 10 NHL defender? Cause yeah. I do. Yep. He's 24. And we're talking about a team that's a coin flip to make the playoffs? Like, that's a failure. I, I'm not saying this team will fail. I'm, I, that's just a problem. And I think it's a problem that you need to grapple with to, to really move forward. And, and it's one where it just feels to me like the organization's instead been, like, really intent on solidifying, like, 
the 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 result of the flip, the coin like flip chance, putting putting an extra one percent on the flip, as opposed to trying to play a different game, as opposed mm. to trying to add value to the organization. That's been my biggest issue with the Rutherford Alvin approach to to this point, and yet there's still a lot of bets that they've placed that you know Dom's really high on, right? Like if Heronic, if Dom's model's right on Heronic, Kuzmenko, and Miller, for example. Well, then the Canucks have added three really high-end players. Or, you know, and Miller's extension keeps him here. Yeah. Canucks have effectively ma- managed to maintain or add three really high-level players over the course of 18 months. That's cause for celebration. I just have my doubts about whether the model's accurate in terms of how they're weighting the probable contributions of those guys. Uh, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, we will have the the um, the man behind the model, Dom's model, the purveyor of Dom's model himself, uh, Dom Lucision from The Athletic will join us next here on Canucks Talk on Sportsnet. Big opinions and good bets. It's the People's Show with Bick Nazar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at dleamc.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line we're going to be joined by uh dom lucision of the athletic here momentarily to talk about his and and also uh, we should mention shana goldman and sean gentilly's season preview up at the athletic for the canucks right now and again if you missed it in the last segment projecting 92 points and a 52 percent chance at making the playoffs we'll dive into uh to all of that with dom here in just a second and you know, somebody somebody texted in, like, do you guys really think that the, the team's playoff odds this year are just as strong as last year? Because when there was also about a 50% chance of them making the playoffs per the model. And, you know, I, I think I came on the air and literally said, yeah, I pretty much see this as a coin flip playoff team last year. Obviously, that fell well short. But, yeah, I think and, and I think the texter's point is, well, have they improved? Like, were last year's too high and the team, or this or was this year's too low? But no. I think both can be roughly correct. I think they were a much better team than they showed, especially in the first fifty games of the year. It's just that Mikheyev got hurt and Besser got hurt early, and Pearson got hurt, and their goaltending was league worst suddenly, and mm. they underperformed by only nine points. I think the model was dead on the last two years, which is why I'm so happy that we're welcoming in Dom Lecision. Hey, Dom, from the text inbox. To get us started, um, we have a uh, we have a suggestion in for starting this interview, and it said, "This man needs to answer for one rating Hughes so low on his player tier article, and two being absolutely right that us Canucks fans are incredibly unhinged and insecure." Welcome to the show, my friend. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, what a what a lovely welcome for sure. Um, I. 
I think if people read today's preview, I tried to fan the flame a little bit by pointing out that my model, which might as well be Durant's model with how much he talks about it uh, <laughs> every day on Twitter, um, does have Hughes as the as a top 10 defenseman, does have his defense rated fairly highly. And he started fairly high in our player tiers project. We had him in tier two to start. We like his upside. We like his possibility. We like the fact that he looks as good as he does playing with a bunch of trash most nights. But the overwhelming consensus when we brought that list to people around the league, people in front offices, whether that's analysts, scouts, general managers, assistant general managers, coaches, is maybe not yet, maybe not so fast. They want to see Hughes play at that level one more time to maybe crown him as a franchise player. So we're going to get more into your projection for the Canucks going forward, but I have one more. Well, I have two sort of quick set piece things that we're going to do with you first. Uh, First of all, my love for your model is not new to my joining the team at the athletic. We used to do uh, like an all hands meeting when I worked for the Florida Panthers. And every week I would quote the (laughs) Panthers playoff odds in the meeting as like, as like part of what should be on the business side's radar about how the team was faring. And, and I want to note this too. uh, There was one time, I think we were in Montreal during the preseason and uh, one of the coaches comes up to me and they go, do you know who this Dom is and really struggled with your last name? And I was like, Lecision, yeah. And uh, they were like, do you know who this is? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like he's a writer for The Athletic, has this model that I love. And guy was like, well, I just read his Panther season preview. He knows he knows a lot about our team. He's He's got it right. <laughs> so Dom's model also loved by NHL coaches. That's the first part. Second part. Dom, I reference your model so much, and I want to play this for you because I'm not sure if you've ever heard it. But this is my intro music that they play every time I'm on the morning show. I just want to I just want to throw this at you and get your reaction to it. Um, it's mostly making fun of my love for draft capital, uh, but yeah, play the music. And what we just have to call Thomas Grant's erotica. <laughs> listen to the radio so i've never i've never heard that i wasn't even aware of that um you know how there are those bits that are really good to start and then they die down and then you just keep it rolling and then it gets funnier again yes. that was what that was to me um i was side joe bob stepping on the rakes in the simpsons basically yeah. <laughs> so good I, I i don't know if you've ever heard your 
Dom's model said in sultry tones over like <laughs> 80s porn music. But there you go. There you go. You, you'll you'll have that memory forever now, Dom. Um, speaking of uh, of Dom's model, which again is a, a big part of the show here on Sportsnet 650, and you know the season preview up today and 92 points. I'll just kind of give the the top line numbers again. 92 points, 52 percent uh, shot at the playoffs, which matches, I think, what a lot of people would would say and kind of the estimation of this team. Do you feel a little bit of deja vu on the Canucks here? Because I think it was pretty similar numbers. And, you know, it's not from a from a talent level. It's not as if this team has been miles away from the playoffs recently, but it always just they always seem to fall short. Does it feel like uh, a little bit of deja vu for you here? Uh, no, honestly not. I think so much happened last year that I forgot how similar <laughs> it was going into. And I think part of it was this time last year, 92 points felt disappointing to some people where Boudreaux came in, they played at a hundred point pace. They expect them to take the next step. The model said, let's slow down a bit here. And this season, Pocket comes in. They again play at 100 point pace. We know that was against a soft schedule, but they still finish the season around 83 points. So this time around, 92 points feels like an improvement, and that's sort of the way I went into it. And I, with everything that happened with Vancouver last year, I completely forgot that this is exactly how it started last year. <laughs> so what do you think? Like, if you were to make an argument, and I know you know your your model builds in the the bad scenarios and the good scenarios as well. If you were to make an argument for why things could be different in a positive way for the Canucks, why they wouldn't fall short of expectations this year, what do you think the best reason uh, to believe that things might be different this year is? I think the best reason, and it's probably not great that the same reasons applied to an AP point team last year, but you have Pedersen and Hughes. And generally if you have two players that good, that is a huge head start towards, I think, reaching the playoffs. I don't think Demko is going to be nearly as bad as he was last year. He should bounce back. I think the defense, while not great, looks at least better until Tyler Myers and his contract gets thrown at the sun. They at least have Ian Cole and Carson Soucy, who probably aren't top four defenders, but they are certainly better than Oliver Ekman Larson, in my opinion. Uh, I think Ilya Mikheyev will, it's a risk because he's coming off a major injury, but just having him back gives the team a bit of depth at forward that they didn't have for a lot of last season. And I think Suzmenko, even if he's going to regress, has shown he's a legit NHL top six player, and that is, I think a big thing for Vancouver is the top of their lineup is a bit better than it's maybe been in years past. Dom, I don't know if you realize this, but knowing me as you do, I'm, I'm sure you won't be surprised that I did immediately. The chart, the bell curve that you published has the Canucks at a 52% chance of making the playoffs and a 52% chance of finishing fifth or lower in the Pacific, do you need to know anything else to describe how volatile this team's possible outcomes are going into the season? Yeah, and it's the same thing for a team like Ottawa, whose preview mm. published today, where it is like a it is a fifty fifty bet where anything can happen. And last year, a lot of 
bad things happened in that 50-50 bet. And maybe this year, it maybe it swings the other way. Vancouver fans deserve something, and maybe that's it. Now, how does a team, in your view particularly a team like the Canucks where you've got big raises coming, cap flexibility is not exactly their calling card, prospect system, Corey and uh, Scott Wheeler over at the Athletic consistently rank it among the bottom five in the league. How does a team raise, you know, their, their sort of the, the fat part of their bell curve here? Like how, what, the, what should the Canucks be focusing on to get to a point where the coin flips that matter are in May as opposed to in October? It's, it is tough because they've spent the last four years sort of doing the get-rich-quick scheme, and it's never really worked, and it's gotten them to this point where you have Pedersen and Hughes sort of in their primes at their peaks, and this is all that's around them. It's sort of frustrating that vein, especially for the prospect will not looking very strong either, that you have to hope that money comes off the books enough in a way over the next one, two, three years where you can add an actual impact player to support players like Patterson, Hughes, and Denver. That's a nice core. It's just they've spent money so inefficiently that there hasn't been a strong ability to actually do anything around that core. And Kuzmenko was a really nice bet. And I think part of the issue with the Canucks has always been that they make weird bets afterwards where Kuzmenko on this unsustainable heat surge of a season, maybe it was better for them to cash in or lock him up for a long term. Instead, they sort of delayed the issue by just giving him a two-year extension at a great price. It's just, it just feels like the wrong thing to do. And it just, everything always feels like the Canucks could have done something better or different in the idea of how does this help the future where the focus always seems to be now and they just push the future problems back and back and then they end up here as a 92-point team when Pedersen is in the thick of his prime. They should be a lot closer to contending. Dom, one of the reasons that I've taken on such a consistent fade position against the Canucks has been their talent or lack of it in terms of moving the puck on the back end, your model really seems to identify offense from the back as a, as a potential trouble spot for this team going into this season. Um, What, like how big a concern is that? And can you give our listeners a sense of how the Canucks stack up relative to the other teams, both in the Pacific and around the league in terms of what your model expects them to be able to generate in terms of offensive value from the defense core? Yeah, I think that's one of the big things that I wanted to implement with the new model that I sort of introduced last year. It's the same as the old model. I was just splitting up offense and defense, and I wanted to show where teams had their strengths at each position. Sort of like last year with Florida, where their defense looked really good in terms of offense, but defensively they were one of the worst groups in the league. And I think those dichotomies are important to note, especially for a team like the Canucks, where you have 
Quinn Hughes and maybe Phil Pronick as guys who can provide offense in the back end, but the remaining four, including the two new guys, Ian Cole and Carson Susie, just don't deliver much of anything. And if you look at a lot of the playoff teams, like they have other options beyond the top guy. It can't just be Hughes. It can't just be Victor Hedman in Tampa Bay. It can't just be Brandon Montour in Florida or even Dougie Hamilton in New Jersey. Like other teams have more options down the lineup because this is turning into a puck moving league where you can't just have a bunch of stay at home guys and hope to defend. It's nice that they brought in Cole and Susie because this is probably the best defensive decor that the Canucks have had in a while, but they're still missing that, that other element where I think Hughes is going to be stretched a bit too thin with how much he has to do offensively for that team. One of the other really fascinating players for me, Dom, is JT Miller, who, of course, you know, entering the first year of his big new extension. We've talked a lot about the combination of that deal and his age and what that's going to look like. But even for this year, I mean, he grades out pretty well uh, in your projection up at the athletic right now, how much concern should there be about JT Miller's play declining, you know, not just three, four five years down the road, but in the near term, how much potential is there for that as well? It's, it's tough because I like, I don't think JT Miller is as bad as some of his biggest detractors say, but he's also, obviously not as good as his his point totals indicate. And he's sort of in that Mark Shifley vein where he gets his numbers, he can score, he can produce, and he does bring value in that way. Just on a team like this, it feels a bit empty calorie. And part of the reason he gets so many points is because he's thrust into this big role that he probably just wouldn't get on an actually good team. So if JT Miller is your third, fourth, or fifth best forward, you're probably in a good spot, but for the Canucks, they are depending on him to be the guy or the guy behind Pedersen. And it just doesn't put them in a very strong position and they need someone above him to sort of push him down and make his, his role a bit lighter and make his value, I guess, more in line with where he should be around the league. Dom, appreciate the time, man, and uh, really enjoyed reading the work, not just on the Canucks, but all the previews that you guys are doing. It's always fascinating. I always learn something, and uh, I hope I hope Canucks fans go easy on you on Twitter. I, I hope so. I think 90 points is pretty nice. Yeah, I think it's a very <laughs> fair assessment. No I, one should be flaming you over this. I one. was trying to make the point that you are far more favorable in your analysis of this team going into this year than I am. Although I don't know yeah, that that's going to necessarily endear you to anybody in this market, given what just, they think of just me. Just wait till they read what you write tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Dom. We appreciate it, man. Yeah, anytime. Take care. That is Dom Lucision of The Athletic, uh, giving us some more insight into the model, the famous model uh, that he is behind at The Athletic. And I would encourage everyone to go uh, and check out uh, uh, the work at the athletic right now. I did have to laugh at him saying like so much has happened between last year at this time for the Canucks and now, but he almost like didn't even realize that there was a similarly decent projection. Cause it just feels like so long ago that we were like coming into the season. Like, can they maintain the momentum from the Boudreaux bump? It feels like another lifetime, even though it was only 12 months ago. Yep. Well, and so it's so interesting to remember too, because yeah, there were a lot of people, a lot of national media, 
um, a lot of people who observe this team closely and certainly a lot of hopeful fans, a lot of laundry bros who really believed that this team had turned a corner under, mm. under Bruce Boudreaux. And yeah, I mean, more, more than anything, I think I was really aware of it because I felt pretty out on a limb mm-hmm. <laughs> in the up to last season. And um, so I, maybe, I, maybe, maybe I'm a, I remember it a little bit more. I'd also add that Dom tracks 32 teams with like, Oh, Incredible yeah, no, accuracy. It's not a criticism of him. No, right? no, 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 he's, no. He's locked in on the whole league. Totally. Whereas, you know, we're obsessives. Yes, we are. Donnie and Dolly were ripping me earlier for remembering a preseason game from last year. Yeah, I mean, who could forget that game? That I game, was invested. That game had a lot going on. Like, I remember lots of stuff from that game. It says more about them than it does uh, about me. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar-Lumber text line. Uh, and this one comes in. If the Canucks were to make the playoffs but get swept in the first round, would you count that as a successful season or no, a disappointing season? absolutely not. It depends on how it goes, though, right? Like, not all make not all versions of making the playoffs are the same. Not all versions of missing the playoffs are the same. Right. Not all versions of getting swept are the same even. Like obviously getting swept is fundamentally disappointing. But there's there's getting swept and you still played well. It's just the other team was way better. And there's being embarrassed, right? Where it's like, oh, well, you had no business in that series. Well, no, but I mean, I think the problem for me with the concept anyway of this team getting swept is, you know, and this goes back to what I've, I've been really talking about with the playoffs not being the ultimate goal. Like, what I want to see is this team take the sort of steps where we don't look at it as a team that doesn't have a path forward, mm. right? Because that's my, my, my big concern with the Canucks is not can they make the playoffs this year. It's is there a path forward for them to be a contender, you know, to, to make the playoffs and then not have the gear required to even hang, right? To stay among the 16 teams in the NHL that don't win a game in the postseason, even though you made it uh, like what, what's good about that? No. And, but I think there's nothing from good about that. this, but again, that's, that comes down to less about whether or not they get swept and more about what other things are happening that are going into that result. Right. right? So that's again, kind of my point is, yeah, I can imagine a situation where they sneak into the playoffs, get swept, but you're still feeling more positive about the direction of the franchise. Like, that's easy to imagine than you are right now. It won't be necessarily just because they made the playoffs, right? Yeah, I just want to see the Canucks enter, like, enter or begin to enter or at least look like they credibly could enter a different weight class than this hope bet 50% coin flip Mm -hmm. world that we've existed in, you know, probably since the club, you know, messed up the summer or the fall, excuse me, of, uh, of 2020. After the team, after a team that looked to be on the rise, left the bubble and was uh, effectively sabotaged, um, that's what I want to see. Like I want to see a path forward. I want to see a team that performs at a level where I stop saying with confidence things like "I don't see a path to make this team great." And to, it, uh, if you make the playoffs, but have that immediate reminder of the, the reality of what weight class you're really in, you know, like it, let, let me give you an example. Well, da- Dallas won two rounds mm-hmm. last year, and yet the w- and then and then fell behind three nothing to Vegas, and then had a couple good games, and then in that sixth game, Vegas left no doubt like the Stars are not a contender. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're not. They got absolutely flattened. And usually, I wouldn't read too much into the result of one game, but in that game, you learned everything you needed to know about Dallas's chances of like winning something meaningful in the next five years. And 
I, I really struggle with that. Like I'd struggle to take a big positive from, oh, well, you know, we, we beat the Kraken and then Vegas showed us what's what. I think the other part of it is honestly, and it's, it's feels kind of wild to frame everything through this question, but how does Elias Pettersson feel in this scenario, right? Like, does he, is he glad that they made the playoffs or is he, uh, you know, to your point, more upset that they got swept in the first round in this hypothetical. And again, it feels kind of wild to put so much weight on how one player is going to view whatever the outcome of the season is, but that's kind of the pot, the spot we're in here. Uh, with Elias Pettersson going in to this Canucks season. And uh, this text comes in as well. The issue is teams around us are getting better too, like LA and Seattle. And the the Kraken are a really fascinating well, I, one. I'm, so I'm about to go down to Seattle. I'm yeah. literally driving down the I-5 right after we get off the radio. I'm looking forward to checking in uh, at Kraken preseason preparation. I'm obviously looking forward to watching that preseason game in, in just a fabulous building, and I cannot recommend enough to Canucks fans to like mark off mm. that that Friday in American Thanksgiving. And um, you know, I think there's a game in in January uh, down in Seattle, and and if you're able to go go on a hockey road trip to Seattle because that building is awesome. It's awesome to see their facility and and what they've done with their game experience. That to me is a team. They could absolutely take a step back. I think for this year, I'm like the more I think about it, we'll do our official predictions or whatever. I'm probably going to pick the Canucks to finish ahead of the Kraken this year. Yeah, I, but again, I, it's it's the it's there's the this year conversation, and then there's the next five years conversation, totally. right? And Seattle is better positioned. I don't know. Think it's necessarily going to be a clean trajectory from like their first season to next year or to last year, and it's just all the way up. They could easily take a big step backwards, but you can also see the ways that they can get better over the next two or three years. The, the team I'm looking for to take a step in the Pacific is the Anaheim Ducks. I think that team's going to be far more formidable this year. Not not a not a, a tall task with how disorganized they were last year, but I think that team's got the potential to take a really big step forward this year. And the team in the West that I think's going to shock and be way better than anyone thinks is the Arizona Coyotes. Mm. I think the Coyotes, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs, but like a mid-80s finish. Yeah, they're not going to be frisky a, a in doormat. it late. Yeah. Oh, I don't think they're going to be close to a doormat. I think they're going to be an annoying pretty interesting team and and i think they're gonna be fun to watch too have you seen that uh i've never said that about the arizona Panthers. <laughs> this is a first for on me. the ducks i i read uh friedman's latest 32 thoughts and sounds like there could be a bridge deal coming for rfa trevor zegers or at least that's what the, the word negotiations have been uh heading recently what do you think what, what what do you think i think of that uh well i don't i can guess you're not you a big zegers guy though i'm not but I still would take the I would still take the risk to lock him up, right? Because like what if you locked him up eight years, probably in three years, you're still paying him like what a number two center is getting paid, right? And I think he can be a number two center for you. I don't think he can be a number one center. That would concern me if you're betting on him to be your your number one center on a Stanley Cup contending team. I shouldn't say I don't think he could. Like there's always a world where he develops into that, but I don't see it as like, oh, that's a bet I'm really excited to make. But if you sign him eight years, when that team is ready to win, you're probably paying him like a number two center anyways, right? At that point with yeah. the cap going up. But, I mean, if they sign him to a bridge deal, I think they're pretty skeptical uh, about him. I think that's a uh, I think that sends a pretty loud message and. Look, I think Trevor Zegers is way better than his detractors think. One last thing, just want to give a shout out to local kid Zach Benson. Played what? Of course you do. Did you That's see right. anything last I night? Did. I did. I saw it. Okay, because he played top line minutes, top power play, and the injury to Jack Quinn in Buffalo has really opened up a spot where like one of Yuri Kulik 
or Zach Benson mm-hmm. are probably going to make this team. And so there's a real world where two local products play in the NHL right away after their first, um, like in their in their draft plus one, you know, probably only gets the, the like seven or nine game look, but uh, a pretty amazing uh, showing from Benson, um, who, who's put himself on track to actually like have a shot to make a team at the age of 18. Unbelievable stuff. Um, and it'll be interesting to track that. He's really good. Yeah, I'm not doing the thing. I'm just, he's still from Chilliwack. Like he's still You're a local a kid. a little bit doing the I'm thing. I'm not. I'm not at all. All right. Well, can, I'm not allowed to reference him? No, no, no. no, no. I just, I like, the, I thought the way you framed it was interesting. That it's just a shout out to a local kid. Yeah. It can be something more. No, I'm not doing that though. I'm okay. not having that right. conversation. I had that conversation before, mm-hmm. but it's not fair to, you know, Tom and, and Tom Valent. Like, it's not fair to a young man to be like, oh, yeah. come on. Like, he's going to carve his own path that it's done. That I don't think there's, I don't think it's helpful to dwell on that right now. Uh, is no, I don't think you should dwell on it. But yes, Zach Benson does look very good in uh, in Buffalo Sabers preseason and training camp. But so you want far. me to do the who could have seen it coming? That's you want I, me to do that? No, I don't want you to. I just thought that might have been where it was going. It wasn't. All right, fair enough. Innocent. I'm very innocent until proven guilty. <laughs> <laughs> you? Uh, you would never. You would never say tell somebody that you told them so. <laughs> Pat my back. It's, it's not a bru- what was I thinking? How dare I? That's not a bruise between my shoulder blades. How dare I? Uh, all right, we will take a break. The Canucks are in action tonight in Edmonton. Uh, we are awaiting any lineup information, but we'll talk a little bit about who's improved their stock, who's hurt their stock so far through training camp, through preseason. Uh, who, if they are in the lineup tonight, are you looking forward to see who could help their stock tonight in Edmonton? That's coming up. It is Canucks Talk Sportsnet six fifty. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line uh, hit us up open segment here to end the show so anything on your mind let us know into the Dunbar Lumber text line if you got any questions uh, or anything you want to run past us it is a Canucks preseason game day they are in Edmonton to take on the Oilers puck drop will be at six o'clock full coverage here of course on Sportsnet 650 including the call from Brendan Batchelor and Randy Janda and we are still waiting to see who the Canucks take Part of the group was on the ice uh, at UBC today that's not traveling to Edmonton. So we will await at some point an update on what the Canucks lineup looks like. But whoever is on the ice for the Canucks, they're getting a daunting preseason Edmonton Oilers lineup featuring, among others, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, uh, Nugent Hopkins, Hyman, Kane, Brown, Brandon Sutter as well, which is great. Former Canuck who's on a PTO there. Stuart Skinner in net. So lots of talent, including the full top power play unit is going to be in the mix for uh, the Canucks. And, 
you know, I would expect a better lineup tonight than the one they saw the, or the one they sent to Calgary and lost 10 nothing. But I wouldn't expect a world's better lineup necessarily. Definitely more regulars, more guys who figure into your top six. But I don't like we should absolutely not expect them to kind of match strength on strength with Edmonton here uh, at this point of the preseason. And what that means is. As much as, you know, Rick Tockett downplayed the 10 nothing loss in Calgary after the game in Calgary, we also saw through his actions over the last couple of days that it actually did mean something, right? It did. Like, guys who didn't play well got demoted from the NHL group. And I think tonight is an opportunity for whether it's those same players again or a new crop of players or some combination to kind of rectify that wrong. And like, yeah, yeah, you're going to be shorthanded against Edmonton. There's some really good players who are going to be on the ice but that doesn't mean you can't make it a competitive, close, real NHL game, preseason game, in a way that the one in Calgary wasn't. Sir, you also don't need it to be close. Like, it just you don't want to lose 10 nothing. You want it to be normal. 5-1's fine. Yeah. 5-1 is in the realm of, like, we don't worry about it. It's preseason. Especially with McDavid and Dreisaitl and company on the ice. But, again, these lineups, like, it would be a big surprise to me if the Canucks sent, like, a really strong lineup in reaction to what happened in Calgary, because for the most part, you know, again, you have to think about what preseason is. Vancouver went to Calgary and then went to Edmonton Mm -hmm. and they're going to Seattle. Seattle is coming to play in Abbotsford. Edmonton and Calgary are coming here, right? These are agreed on well in advance. These are all the NHL teams, um, you know, that are regionally proximate to limit travel while the team's gearing up for the season. And these lineups are pre-negotiated. Like, they are. I don't know. I, I wish people could understand. Like, Rick Tockett might change up a few things that he wants to look at. But yeah. for the most part, like, you're not going to now send your, like, NHL lineup to, like, get redemption and after I don't, the Flames thing. And I don't think they should. Like, even from, no, a hockey, they from a preparation standpoint, I don't even think that's the best option. Like, the, I would much rather the challenge be thrown down to the guys who are on the roster bubble. Like, totally. Hey, go do better. Yeah, okay, it's McDavid and Drysettle, but go show us something. Yeah. Like, I think that's a way better use of the preseason game than the opposite. Also, it's McDavid and Drysettle, but... You're not getting playoff McDavid and Dreisaitl. No, no. You're getting you're, finding our feet, finding our hands, and playing 14 minutes. You're getting September 27th, McDavid and Dreisaitl. Yeah, which, by the way, still awesome. Just not, you know, so scary that you should be quivering in your boots. Like, no. You, you know the you know the old saying, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth? Mm-hmm. Who said that? George Foreman? I believe it's typically Mike Tyson attributed Mike Tyson. to. Okay. Um, a good quote, by the way. A good Great quote. one. I, I should have delivered in in falsetto, knowing who the um, speaker was. But you lost a preseason game. That's not getting punched in the mouth. Even when you lose it like that, and there are like valid reasons to be like, yeah, that's a little more concerning than usual. Like that's not a punch in the mouth. Come on. It'll be interesting to see who the Canucks send. Hopefully, we you know get that shortly. Um, you know, I'm definitely I'm definitely interested to see. How, how it all goes, and, you know, I'm telling you right now, like, I'm going to beeline it for Seattle so that I'm settled in time to watch the game. Like, I'm really excited. Uh, Marcus and Gibson's text in, I think the most Canucks thing tonight would be no penalties so we don't get to see the PK work because you highlighted it in the opening season. Like, that is going to be one of the things to watch going up against the best power play unit, which should get at least some time together in the NHL. And then the best power play unit again. What do you mean? Well, they play them twice. To oh, open the oh yeah, to open the season. I'm talking tonight. And yeah, but but then you go to play Florida and Tampa, and Tampa Bay in particular, mm. right? I mean, 
I am a little surprised, actually, Edmonton's lineup is so strong in this one, considering they do open the season with two against the Canucks. I would I would wonder if sometimes they hold a little back in that case, but they're going all all out and they'll give their guys a chance to uh, to get up to speed quickly here. And yeah, I mean, the penalty kill is going to be once we start, especially once we start to get more NHL regulars integrated into the lineup, just like the combinations that are used, what it looks like, if there's any kind of stylistic changes to it, all of those things is going to be a huge talking point in the preseason. It's one of those things that it's going to be a huge story around this team until it isn't. Yeah. Right? Like, this team, if they hum, hum along around 82, 80% for like two months to start the season, then we'll start talking about the penalty kill like most markets talk about the penalty kill which is like sparingly if at all it's like the <laughs> it's like the offensive line in football where like it only comes up if they are like really bad you or, know what i mean you're like or, Ooh, they really cost us tonight or exceptionally good yeah. and they've you know designed a totally unique and unstoppable rugby scrum way of <laughs> Winning it fourth and short. Yeah. Then it's a conversation. Yeah, but you're right. Like the vast majority of NFL offensive lines, it's only like, oh man, they allowed four sacks tonight. That cost us the game. You know what I mean? It's yeah, very yeah. rarely like they were all right tonight. Yeah. And that's where you want the penalty kill to get to. It's just like, yeah, hey, they they you know killed one or they killed four of five and the team won three two. They didn't you didn't choke the game away on the penalty kill, which has felt like it's so often man, is what's happened. What what a relief that would be. What a relief that would be. But yeah, I mean, I'm so sick of talking about the penalty kill. You know, like, that's that's where the burden of proof is. It's like, be good enough that we ignore you. (laughs) But even that will be a story if there's that improvement. Because that's like, that's dramatic improvement. You know what I mean? Oh, man. It will. I'm so sick of it. If they're like 15th, if they're 15th in the league on the PK, or let's say 16th, so like dead middle on January 1st, like, I think that's a big story. Now, but I see for me, it's a footnote in like how the Canucks have done whatever they've done. Right. So it's like, right. Despite if they're, if things are going well, then it's like a, a, not a footnote, but like certainly a subheader on like one of the things that have powered Vancouver's rise to third in the Pacific or second in the Pacific, wherever Mm -hmm. they are at the time of January 1st. Or it's like, man, the Canucks have frittered away the fact that their penalty kill has improved because of. XYZ. Yeah. That's that's all it should be, man. That's all it should be. We really got to get over the PK thing, but the team's got to give us cause. Yeah, I mean to like, get over it. I, I don't think it's a, a unfair no, point it's of not. criticism. I'm, it's been so bad. It's it's just been so bad and it's such a boring thing. You know, like as much as everyone wants to blame Nolan Baumgartner or mm-hmm, blame mm-hmm. Mike Yo or praise Scott Walker or praise Brad Shaw or like, oh my God. I mean you know, we've had four different Canucks coaches. No, five, because Foot took it over. We've had five different Canucks coaches run the power play across two years, or mm-hmm. penalty kill across two years, with it being historically bad. And like fans have been like, "Oh, it's this guy's fault. It's that guy solved it. That guy's fault. That guy solved it." And it's like, it's mostly goaltending, and it's mostly poor play. There's not like a lot of systems variety in how teams approach the penalty kill. It's not like there's massive differences. In, in how one guy does it from the other guy, it's like slightly more down ice pressure. You know, like mm-hmm. you can sort of twist the knob on it, but it's not like you're... You're not reinventing the wheel. Not even close. Not even close. You know, you're you're making a couple picks in terms of like, are you in a diamond? Are you in a diamond against this team and this team? Are you going to have a little bit of variation? How how much are you going to front the... Sh- like, it's boring. There's just not a lot there. 
Just just do it well enough that I don't have to talk and about yet, it. And yet, it has been uh, this is such a thorn in the side of the team. This might be the most selfish take I've ever had. It's just like, <laughs> I'm really rooting for the Canucks to be good enough on the PK that I don't have to talk about it. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, well, we'll see, because they'll probably get a chance to uh, at least start that tonight in Edmonton. Although, man, it's, uh, it's a tough one to go up against on September 27th uh, in the preseason. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about um, uh, about you know Dakota Joshua and Vasily Pod Colson and their stock falling so far in in training camp and you know we've talked about uh, Jack Stadnika his, his impressive showing so far through the preseason and we don't know the lineup yet today but I'm curious like who are those guys that you think either have a big opportunity in front of them right now, or you're kind of haven't really fallen into one camp or the other. You know what I mean? They haven't seen their stock rise. They haven't seen their stock fall, but you're kind of waiting on more information. Like, okay, let's kind of get down to brass tacks with this guy and see which way things are trending. Do you have any of those guys off the, off the top of your head? Susie, Carson Susie for me. I mean, he struggled a little bit on, well, struggled a fair bit on the right side with Quinn Hughes, but I mean, Carson Susie's a player that I like. And I don't think it's fair to, you know, either write him off as an option on the right side entirely based off of one scrimmage, Um, you know, nor, nor do I think it's representative of, you know, overall cause for concern. Like when I was talking about my growing concern for the blue line, it's not because I don't think Carson Susie's good. It's that it looked like the organization, especially with how quickly they moved away from him, didn't necessarily have a top pair right handed D option that they were like in love with coming mm. out of training camp. And that to me is a concern. Um, Susie, I don't think had the opportunity to like really distinguish himself yet. Um, but I think he's going to be a big part of, obviously he's going to be a big part of this team. That contract was by far the riskiest that they signed, given that it's the only one with multiple years of term. Um, and, and for a guy who's, you know, now seems slotted in on the third pair, that's, that's the really interesting right? thing. Like right? this, this is one where it's the most money they spent in the, in the off season in terms of total dollars, yeah, if, right? If he's a full-time third pair defenseman for this team, I mean, what's the gap between that and the Tucker Pullman deal? Like yeah. at some point, I mean, obviously, you know, it's unfortunate what's happened to Pullman in terms of his injury, but even before that, like it was a poor bet that wasn't going well. Well, and just in a vacuum, you don't want to be going out and giving term and like not insignificant money to third pairing guys right or to or to bottom six guys on the forward group right that's a tough way to build a team not to mention third pairing guys when you've got reasonable hopes for guys like Guillaume Brisbois and Nikita Hirose and you've got Christian Milan you know what I mean it's like it's a pretty low leverage spot in the lineup Mm -hmm. to have invested the most term and cap dollars that you did in any single move this offseason and yet I say all of this, and I know it sounds negative, but I think Carson Susie is a good player, and I think once we get a chance to see him, you know, that shot is going to play. His instincts in the offensive zone are pretty good. Um, you know, I think there's uh, some puck handling, um, like his his baseline puck handling skill isn't super high, but plays hard, really good in zone. Um, you know, he's, he's a sharp defensive piece, and I think Canucks fans are going to like him. I just um, also think... You know, I, he's a guy that I'd like to see begin to 
rise to the top, right? To, to yeah. rise to the level where we're watching him in well, preseason and we can see, you know, what he's going to bring to the team. So he, for me, is like of the guys who haven't been talked about a lot, the guy who I'm most curious to see play well or, or have a good showing in the preseason. And I think a big part of it is just you want to see, especially when it's a new player and especially when it's a fairly big acquisition that the team has spent money and invested resources on, you want to see them come in and find their spot relatively quickly, right? Like this we were talking about this with Vasily Pud Coles, and it's different with a young player versus a free agent, but everyone wants to have that reliable role. And I just think with Carson Soucy, we don't know what that's going to look like yet. And I think for any player, that's difficult when you don't have a, a firm idea of what your role is going to be. I still think at some point you got to find a way to include him in your top four, whether it is on the right side with Quinn Hughes, whether you eventually split up an Ian Cole, Philip Ronick pairing and you go, you know, Hughes, Cole, Ronick, Susie, something like that. But I think he has enough capability and enough, you know, things that we haven't had or the Canucks haven't had over the last couple of years that you got to find a way to get him in that top four, right? Like whatever the configuration is, I think your top four needs to be Hughes, Cole, Hronik and Susie in some combination in some configuration and right now Susie's on the outside looking in and like I don't think that's see, set, that's not setting him up for success I really struggle to see how they're going to do that because I don't think you can play Cole and Susie together well can the what I would still like to see is Hughes and Cole yeah, because Cole has more experience playing on the right side. Maybe, than, although than they like Horonic. I understand Cole, that. And Cole's sort of defensive impact has tended to be a little bit better than Susie's. And Horonic is going to need help. You know, yeah. like we're, with Hughes, where it's like, well, you know, part of the logic of why you want to see Cole with him or whatever is it's like, no, Cole's no one's idea of a top ha- uh, pair right-handed defenseman or right-side defenseman, but with Hughes, it might work, right? I mean, that's your logic. But I don't think you can just count on Heronic to carry a pair. Like, no, I think that's. A, I think I don't think that's. But, fair I, but is it fair to say that he would be carrying a pair? Like I think Susie's good enough that he can complement Philip Hronik. Like Hronik's still the best guy on that pair. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's like you're giving him dead weight necessarily. No, to you're, try not to carry. Him, you're not giving I, him. You're not giving him dead weight, I, I, but you're. Yeah. I mean, the fact is that Cole has more experience in the top four than Susie at this he point. He does. Yeah. No, he, he absolutely so, does. So I'm just saying, I, I, I don't know that I look, I, I put it this way. I suspect we'll see it because I think the club's top pair right handed spot or right side spot. If that's unfilled, I think that's going to be a question we're talking about all year. Yeah. Like that, that conversation is not going away. And then, you know, as we get closer to Christmas and Ethan Bear heals up and I mean, how they address that is going to be how they how they address that if it's not Cole or Susie is going to be you know a running topic that's that's who should the twins play with mm, mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's um that's who's Pedersen's line mate yeah. going to be that's who's Bro- oh, who's Bo Horvat's winger you know wingers. what i mean yeah. like it's going to yeah. be a thing no, well, it is. It is going to be a thing, right? And you're going to have there. That's why I, I said it yesterday, it, right? But I think we're going to cycle through all of these guys. Doesn't it suck to have that conversation as opposed to the like, why has Alex Burroughs been such a great fit with the twins and mm-hmm. like, getting into all the reasons it works or like 100%. I mean, it's so much better when you have the answer. Yes, it is. And it's fun to talk about. It's fun to talk about cool things happening on the ice. I in a love game. to talk about cool things. Uh, I mean, I could talk about Alex Burroughs with the twins for a long time right now. <laughs> Anyways, I was a big fan uh, of that. Um, by the way, you mentioned Ethan Bear. We have had people texting in questions about Ethan Bear and latest update from uh, Elliot Friedman's 32 Thoughts column. Ethan Bear is skating in Kelowna, B. 
DC. There's interest, but he's not likely to be ready until around Christmas from the so- shoulder surgery suffered at the World Championships. The and his, good news and for his deal's insured is he doesn't need yeah. to rush. And Friedman says uh, Agent Jason Davidson secured an insurance package that pays him on a $3 million basis this season. And, for, and good good work good, by Jason good Davidson. And for, for anyone interested, that's Thunder Creek Management. There you go. Jason, My uh, your, your bill can come to me in the mail. <laughs> good work from Bears agent right <laughs> no, there. No, but I mean, we did know that that deal was insured, and yep. we knew that that was one reason why he wouldn't necessarily sign and rehab with a team, right? Because with his injury status, you'd only pay him, what, 800 k 775 k Yeah. And so he actually makes more working out alone and then once he's healthy, getting obviously, ready, you, need healthy. To, you need to get back into it and, and show that you can still do it so that he can hit unrestricted free agency. Um, you know, is that like, is that an option for the Canucks or, is, you know, just from a, like a relationship management perspective, do you have a sense of if that it could be a viable landing spot? The Canucks could be a, a viable landing spot for I, Bear? I, I definitely don't think the door is closed. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he's an, like... It's a very interesting fit as someone you're already familiar with. And the, when well, you talk, think lo- about the looked pretty good with Quinn, the needs that this team has. And yeah. all of a sudden, OK, you can put a real puck mover, someone who raises the ceiling like there's uh, going to be other teams interested. I'll, I'll too. tell you this. There's going to be a lot of interest. And given that he's going to miss half the season, you know, I think for the Canucks to be close to the front of the line, like I don't my, my sense of it has never been that the door is closed, but my sense of it absolutely is that. Well, and this is not my sense of it knowing anything specific. This is how players think. This is how agents think. If you're coming back around Christmas, you haven't played in a long time, and you're going into like a key unrestricted free agent year, your first priority is give my client or or I am the client, give me a chance to show what I can do in the playoffs. Yeah. Because that's... You know, think about Ryan. Well, O'Reilly. you want a long runway. You're, like, you want more games, right? So a team that has a chance to go deep is going to give you more games. Well, and think about Ryan O'Reilly struggling for most of last season with the Blues and then going to Toronto and he scores like a couple yeah. of clutch deflections in the playoffs and then he hits the open market and he's Ryan O'Reilly again. He's not Ryan O'Reilly diminishing returns. Luke I mean, Sh- it's a huge. Luke Shen getting a chance to play the playoffs huge. with the Leafs, right? Although, and like, look good. Although I would argue. He wasn't like a diminished asset, but it's still anytime you get a chance to shine in the playoffs, it counts. Although, although the day they signed him, Barry Trotz said we've we've brought in Luke Shen because he's got experience complimenting a guy like Roman Yossi in Vancouver. So I wouldn't ignore the extent to which Luke Shen is, you know, another guy in what's going to be an incredibly. Is that when list. you were stuck down in Nashville? Yeah. <laughs> that cracked me up so much it when was... I saw you tweeting from the Trotz presser. So bad. It's like, oh my goodness. I'm, my point is, is I, I would not disregard that Luke Shen belongs on a long list of players, and it's going to be even longer by the time Hughes is said and done. Yeah, of of guys who got to play with Quinn Hughes and then got paid. Yeah. Quinn Hughes is the new Brian Campbell in terms of this, <laughs> right? Like Brian Campbell's like saved so many guys' careers. Uh, I hope I hope they all, uh, and I'm sure they do. That I hope they, White they, Rocks Jason Garrison buys him a massive stake whenever they get together. All right, that's going to do it for us. Us. Um, People texting about where they can watch the crossover or listen to the crossover. It was off the top or 10 minutes in to the show. That was the crossover of Donnie and Dolly. That was a blast. We'll do it again next week. We will be back tomorrow. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.